this day, as we're going into the Word of God, as, as we know the context of our, of our spiritual climate is that this is Palm Sunday. It's the day of anticipation of the Word concerning Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now, in the last few weeks, I've been preaching more intentionally in just looking at Jesus in his life, not through the types and shadows that I spent a few weeks sharing with you from the book of Hebrews. But to just, you, you and I are privileged to have the Gospels where we can open Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. And these were firsthand eyewitnesses to the events that unfolded in front of them that burned deeply in their heart and the recesses of their soul that then moved them to pin these things down for subsequent generations. John said, as we said last week, these things are written that we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that believing we might have life in his name, eternal life in his name, abundant life in his name. Amen. We thank God for life in the name of Jesus. And with our, my intention as a pastor is to correspond a couple of events as we hasten towards next week's Easter Sunday sermon. Now, I feel like perhaps I have done it disjustice in that I'm only in the third week um, of this vein of thought following Jesus so intentionally that I'm already here at the precipice of his both triumphal entry, subsequent death, burial, and resurrection. Began the series by starting with us just very quickly before we read this passage with understanding how Jesus overcame the adversary on what we define as the Mount of Temptation. You remember that? He took the Word of God. That's why it's so important for you to know the Word, right? You've got to have it written on the tablet of your heart so that when the adversary or the weakness of your flesh is tempting you, the adversary is tempting the weakness of your flesh, then you're able to subject your flesh to the Word of God. You're able to speak to the enemy, silence him, by the authority of God's holy word. Amen? It's very important for all of us to be students of God's word. No matter how long you've been saved or whether you are a senior saint of God among us, you'll never stop learning in the truths of God. Correct? Amen. And so then secondly, last week we were able to just, I did my very best to walk you through some familiar passages not sharing any stories of any modern, uh, you know, examples of miracles that we know have occurred and what do occur because our God's a miraculous, he's a miracle-working God. But we looked intentionally at the miracle ministry of Jesus just to see how he functioned in the earth with the anointing of God upon his life for three and a half years and the things that he did. That as we concluded last week, we were reminded of John's word, part of the passage that we read. John again said, if we attempted to write all these things down, he said, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. I mean, you know, that's an amazing statement. And I know it's metaphorical, but at the same time, I'm telling you, it's a powerful revelation of all that Jesus did. Let me tell you, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not stopped working in the midst of his children. He's here today. Revelation said he's in the midst of the candlesticks. He's in the midst of, he's in the, midst of the church. He's here today. He's here by his spirit ministering to us. And today we're going to journey with him for just a few minutes and it's going to capture for us a thought. In Matthew 21, I said Matthew 20. I'm sorry, it's Matthew 21. 
We're going to capture a thought that I'm going to expound upon in a moment and arrive at a conclusion that's going to surprise you. I just wanted you to see how I arrived at where I'm going today. It's important for you to discover for just a few minutes of how Pastor Brown has arrived at the place that I'm going to be sharing with you today. So if you would stand in honor of the reading of the scriptures, we're going to read the 11 verses that Matthew gives us as his record of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion. All this was done so that a a, a passage of Scripture recorded both by Isaiah and also by Zechariah would be fulfilled in its entirety. Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the ass and the colt, and they put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut, and when it says a great multitude, then it would be thousands of people. Spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitude that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved. For this was a great commotion. The activity of the city halted for just a brief moment as the people visibly saw this vast multitude descending down the Mount of Olives. In the center of this multitude was this lone figure seated upon this foal. And the people were casting their garments in front of him. And the multitude is moved and they asked, Who is this? That's a great question. Who is this? Now notice their response. The multitude said, This is Jesus the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Today, for just a few short minutes, I don't have a sermon for you. I'm sure many of you are going, thank the Lord. I don't have a sermon for you, but I have a song today, and I'm not even a singer. I have a song for you today, but it's a question of songs. It's a song of questions, excuse me. It's a song of questions. Nine distinct questions will be asked to you today from a song that I'm going to be sharing briefly. I will not be singing it. I'll have some assistance along the way. But I believe it will speak to your heart today as God has put it in my heart. And I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit takes this, that he anoints it in such a way that when you leave this sanctuary today, you'll be forever moved by what you have heard. Amen? Can we join our faith in agreement and let's pray today. Father, in the name of thy son, Jesus. We humble ourselves, and I'm truly humbled to read the Word of God in front of the people today, with the people. Their faith is joined to mine, we thank you that you've allowed us to visibly, Father, see and also to hear and to understand, Father, the, the, the venture that Jesus made descending 
into the Kidron Valley, Father, from the top of the Mount of Olives. And I pray, God, that what you have put in my heart, what you quickened in my spirit yesterday, Father, is a song, not a sermon, but a song. I pray today, Father, that it will be a song that is written on the tablet of the heart of every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room today so that when they leave, they're going to have a song in the night, as the psalmist said, a song that reveals to us the redemptive work of Jesus Christ that he accomplished, Father, on the cross of Calvary. Thank you today. It's in Jesus' blessed name and all God's children said, amen. And you can be seated. For just a few minutes of time to establish the context of where I want to take you for just a few short minutes today. This particular passage of Scripture, the triumphal entry, sets the course for Jesus' final week here in his role as both a rabbi, as an anointed prophet, for that's what the people perceived him to be, to ultimately his conclusion with his giving up his life on the cross of Calvary. As important as these events are, the gospel writers have given many pages of their, of their gospels to us. John gives almost, an, almost the half of his gospel to the final week of Jesus' life. Three and a half years of ministry that was so riveting that he said, if I attempted to write them down, the world would tilt on its axis and yet when he begins to write, he reserves half of his gospel for the final seven days of Jesus' life here on the earth. It's very important for us. It sets the course. There are many things that you can read through this particular beginning here. This was the beginning, Jesus' triumphal entry. Um, beyond this, we would read things such as the fig tree is cursed and would wither and amaze the men and with their faith that they could possess when Jesus said, have faith in God. The temple is cleansed. Jesus went from the Mount of Olives into the temple, cast out the money changers, set order in the house of God. Said, don't make my father's house a house of merchandise. We need to hear that in America today. He said, this is not a house of merchandise. This is a house of prayer for all nations. And, and his zeal, the zeal of the house began to eat him up and he began to teach and he also taught the parable of the two sons, the wicked vine dresser and the marriage feast all during the final week of his life. And he answered the questions that were posed to him such as the tribute to Caesar. Should you pay tribute to Caesar? Bring me a coin. He holds a coin for all to see. Whose image inscription is this? It's Caesar's. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar. And some of us need to do that for April 15th is two days away. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but render unto God the things that are God's. All these are captured for us in this final week. The widow's might who cast in two mites, the scripture says, but she gave more than them all. Jesus gives us the Olivet Discourse, followed by three parables that I'll allude to briefly in Matthew's record, in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. During this week, he's anointed by Mary at Simon's house and to the point that Jesus said that this particular instance of, of anointing is so great that wherever the gospel is preached, it should be told as a, 
uh, memorial for this woman's sacrifice when she broke that alabaster box and poured it over his head, anointing his body for burial. Jesus would eat the Passover with his disciples. He would shock them on that fateful night when he would literally unclothe down to his loincloth in front of them and he would gird himself and he would there he would bend over and pour water in a basin and ask them to put their sandy soiled feet in that basin and he would wash their feet as an act of humility to teach them a lesson that they could not understand at that particular time but a later moment would come and they would understand that significant act of humility that he exhibited in front of them he would predict Judas's betrayal. He that dips his hand in the sop with me, it's him that Satan will enter into his heart and he will betray me. He would uh, reveal the new covenant when he took the bread and he broke it and he said, and eat this. This is my body which is broken for you. And then he took the cup after he had supped and he said, this is the New Testament in my blood that is shed for the remission of sins. Hallelujah. All in the final week of his life, these significant events that you and I have grown so acclimated to have been exposed to us in such a short few days of time. He would pray in Gethsemane under the full light of a Passover moon, but with the weight of anguish, of anxiety, of what would be the cross of Calvary that would be laid upon his shoulder the next day, but that day it's upon his mind and his brow and anxiety, and he prays until his own sweat becomes like droplets of blood. He asks his disciples would they watch with him, and he finds them sleeping till God sends an angel to strengthen him, and he prays fervently until he finds his breakthrough. Sometimes you have to pray until you get your breakthrough. And he prays, he teaches us the power of persistence and intercession and groaning and working out the will of God in prayer. And finally, he's ultimately able to say that all things are now ready for the time is at hand. He's prepared for the coming events of the day. That following day, as you know, and I'll allude to this next week, the betrayal certainly with Judas of Iscariot, the arrest, and certainly the desertion by his disciples. For he had prophesied that when the shepherd was smitten, the sheep would be scattered. And so from there he is brought to Annas and Caiaphas and his tribe as a common criminal. They have found him guilty, condemn him to death, but send him to Pilate and to Herod for Rome's approval of their decree that he was worthy of death. And he's actually brought before Pontius Pilate, to which Pilate asks a question. Today seems to be a day of questions. That for the people, upon witnessing the event that you and I saw or read just a moment ago, ultimately concluded with a question. This great entourage of men and women that are coming down the Mount of Olives as Jesus Jesus' heart is broken over the people of the city of Jerusalem. Remember, Luke captured the record that he stopped along the way, along the descent, heartbroken, rending inside him for the sake of the people of Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would long to gather you up as a mother hen would collect her chicks, and you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, for you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he, until you're singing what these others are singing, the very song, until you get this rhythm in your heart you will not see me again until you see and say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord Jesus' descent further into the valley the Kidron Valley and he would then again ascend up into the temple 
in which he would cleanse the temple. And so as they make their journey down and this great movement of people is recorded by Matthew causes the people of the city to stop what they're doing, the busyness about their day. Let me tell you, Jerusalem was a busy place back then. It's a busy place today. It's activity everywhere. Certainly in that day, it's centered around the temple, but it wasn't all around the temple. It was also simply, it was the commercialization. It was, it was the practice of the market. It was just everyday life. People stopped what they were doing for just a few short minutes because this great multitude of people has stirred up dust descending diagonally across the Mount of Olives as they journey down the descent of the Mount of Olives and they see this great multitude in this lone central figure, this lone uh, entity seated on this colt with palm branches being laid in front of him and they ask a question and they say, who is this? Who is this? That's a great question. Every man and every woman is going to eventually have to settle that question in their own heart. Who is this? The response of the multitude shows us that they're not quite, they don't have the light that you and I have today. For they say, this is the prophet, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, that's not how you and I would have answered. You and I today, with the light of revelation that we have in the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, we would say, we would echo the words that, that, that the heavens disclosed on that fateful day when he was baptized in the Jordan River. We would say, that's the Son of God. That's God incarnate. That's Christ. He's the revelation of God manifested to us in the flesh. That is Jesus, the son of the most high God, born of the Virgin Mary. He's the son of God. He's the son of man. He's the Messiah. He's the promised one. He's the one we've been anticipating. He has come. He's fulfilled all the redemptive demands of a holy God, and he is now the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's what we would say. We would say, that's the king of kings. Caesar is not king. Pontius Pilate is not king. Herod is not king king. That is the king of all kings. That's what we would say. Amen. That's how we would express ourselves if we were posed that question today. Their response though on that particular day was this is a prophet of Nazareth, fully not yet settled unto the ministry of Jesus. Oddly enough, because of that question, that question was still asked posed slightly differently during the time of Jesus' questioning and examination before Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate asked the question as well. He wanted to know, he said, are you the king of the Jews? He wanted to, who is this, was what the multitude asked. Who is this? Pontius Pilate asked a similar question, posed differently, but simply says, are you who they are telling me that you are? Are you the king of the Jews? Remember Jesus' response, thou sayest. But he had no earthly kingdom, for he said, if I had an earthly kingdom, my servants would fight. But he said, now my kingdom is not from here. But how many of you know But there will come a day when the kingdom of God will come? Come on. And there will be a change, unlike anything that you and I can fully fathom right now in our minds. And so as I, this past week, just in my 
contemplations. And just these are personal things that I'm sharing with you as a pastor. That as, as we contemplate uh, towards a sermon and towards what we're going to share as pastors, it has to begin with something in, in our spirit, born of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And our minds must wrap around either a text or a word or a passage. There has to be something that's made alive. Quicken thy word in our heart, O God, the psalmist writes. And as pastors, that's what we pray on a weekly basis. God, if I'm going to stand in front of the people, I have a, have a quickened word. I can't have a copy and paste sermon for the people. I've got to have something that's been born of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit illuminates to the people that this is the word of the Lord for today. For today. And so as I'm contemplating this week, knowing that it is the Passover, or excuse me, knowing that this is the triumphal entry or uh, the Palm Sunday week in which churches all across the world, my thoughts have been on this particular passage and, and other passages because my thought was this. My thought is this. It seems as if two people groups did not fully understand the time and the season or who that man was and they even missed his coming. In essence, for the one people group said, who is this? We don't even really know who is this lone figure that's here in your midst, this lone central figure in the midst. Jesus himself said in Luke's gospel, as he wept over the city, he said, you did not know the day of your visitation. And then the other leaders themselves, even those that followed him, when asked expressly and explicitly by the people of Jerusalem, who is this? They didn't even know fully who, it was, who he was, for they said he's a prophet of Nazareth, of Galilee. My thoughts wrapped around that, and I thought to myself, how many people that knew the Scriptures, studied the Scriptures, but they missed the revelation of his coming. They were not prepared. They were not prepared for his coming. Oddly enough, that's where my thought began to shift and something began to twist inside of me. I'm not what you would call an eschological preacher. I don't preach a lot about end-time events. I don't preach John Hagee's books. I don't preach others, but that's just not me. That's not who I am. But at the same time, Tell you, I believe with all of my heart that there will come a day. There will come an hour. There will come a sound of a trumpet. There will come the heavens ablaze. There will come a day when the heavens themselves part and behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him is called faithful and true. The first advent, he descended into the Kidron Valley from the Mount of Olives on a colt, meek and lowly. He's coming as a humble, broken man presenting himself as the sacrifice sufficient for all the atonement necessary to redeem mankind. But the next time he comes, he's coming as the King of kings and the Lord of all lords. And what I moved in my spirit today for just a few moments is if an entire city of religiously trained people that heard the scriptures week after week after week could miss his coming, how many more can people that are seated here under the sound of my voice that hear sermon after sermon that watch uh, telev Christian television and yet our heart is not right to receive our king when he does come. 
Jesus in the passage of Scripture, several of the passages, when he talked about what we believe, not his first advent, not his coming to judge Jerusalem in 70 A.D., but what we believe would be his second advent. He warns us. He warns us in passages. Don't let your heart be overcome. Don't let yourself become callous to the things that are around you. Don't get drawn into the things of this world until you are not prepared for his coming. Jesus himself taught us of that day and that hour knoweth no man, but watch, be ready, be sober. Because in a day that you think not, the Son of Man cometh, our King cometh. So with that in my mind, contemplating and pondering and posing the distinctions of this question, these questions, trying to answer these questions that have been posed this was literally a week of questions. If you read those, those five days prior to Jesus' uh, crucifixion, seven days in its entirety, but the four and a half days leading up to his death, questions posed this day by the people of the city of Jerusalem, questions also posed by the scribes and the Pharisees, questions posed by Pontius Pilate, questioned himself. Jesus questioned the people, and he questioned the scribes, in essence, to stop them from questioning him. He confounded them by asking them a particular a question. I arrive at this point today with a song full of questions. There's a song that was written and so I'm taking you on this journey to tell you how I arrived with this song in my heart today. So that's how I arrived at this song because there was a song that was written by Elisha Hoffman. Elisha Hoffman was a Presbyterian minister that was born I believe in 1848 and he lived into the early 1900s and he's given us two of the familiar traditional hymns. Uh, probably he's most famous for writing the song I'm leaning on the everlasting arms. But he borrowed three words, three words from a parable that Jesus, in the second song, excuse me, in the second song, he borrowed three words from a parable that Jesus taught in Matthew 25. Matthew 25, it is my belief, is an addendum to the Olivet Discourse. The Olivet Discourse dealt with the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the coming of Christ. And in Matthew 25, he taught us three parables. He teaches the judgments, the last parable that he teaches, the judgment of the sheep and the goats. The second parable that he teaches in that context text, he teaches us the parable of the talents concerning the returning of the Christ, that we're to occupy till he comes. God gives us resources. We're to use those resources for the glory of God and do business till the, the Lord comes. Amen. That we're going to stand before God one day and give account of ourselves. All that in Matthew 25. But he started that particular chapter by giving us a parable. This particular parable is known as the parable of ten virgins. Five are known as foolish. Five are known as wise. They all had lamps, but they didn't all prepared themselves for the coming of the bridegroom. So in essence, we believe it is futuristic in anticipation of the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Five were foolish, five were wise, five took oil in their, in their vessels, but five did not. The Bible says that as the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. Seems like everybody's asleep today. We need to have a massive wake up, not only in the world, but in the kingdom of God as well. We need to awaken, church family. Now is our salvation near than we believed for the night is far spent and the day is at hand. If ever there was a time to live holy, now is the time. If ever there was a time to believe what you believe, now is the time. If ever there was a time to get off of the fence and stop being lukewarm, now is the time. Now is the time. The Bible says there was a cry made. A cry was made 
And these are the words, three of this next few words that I give you is captured by Elisha Hoffman in his song. These three words. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. The bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. And from those three words, a song. The third stanza of a song that says this. When the bridegroom cometh, will your robes be white? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? The first of nine questions. Will your soul be ready for the mansion's bride and be washed in the blood of the Lamb? When the bridegroom cometh, it's not about if he comes. The bridegroom came and the bridegroom's coming back. The question is, when the bridegroom cometh, will you be found playing church? Will you be found with a form of godliness? Will you be found going through the motions and you have no true religion, no true experience with God? Or are you washed in the blood of the Lamb of God? When the bridegroom cometh, will your soul be ready for the mansion's bride? and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. The chorus to that song says this, Are you washed? Is that a question that should be asked today, even in the church? Absolutely. Are you washed in the blood? Pastor, that sounds all gruesome from a general... I don't care. The death of Jesus on the cross was brutal. That blood was spilt for you and I. For the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sin. We studied through the book of Hebrews to arrive at the conclusion that the blood of a bullock and the blood of a goat was insufficient to take away the sin of Adam and it was insufficient to take away your sin. But one man, by one sacrifice for sin forever, gave his life's blood on the cross of Calvary so that you and I could be washed from our dead works and our sin nature and we could serve the living God. And so Elisha Hoffman asked these questions in his song. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul cleansing blood of the Lamb. Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Glory to God. It's another question for you today. Have you been to Jesus? I didn't say if you went to church. I said, have you been to Jesus? Jesus said in that day, many will come in front of me. And say, I did this and I did that. I did all these works. I gave. I contributed. I sat through sermon after sermon. I even went out and served. But Jesus said, I never knew you. Your heart was, have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Second question he asked in that particular stanza, are you fully trusting in his grace this hour. Thank God for his grace today, church family. Are you fully trusting in his grace this hour? Are you, what's teenager? Do you come to ISM every week and your heart is distant from God? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Isn't it time that you have a living, loving relationship with Jesus Christ? 
Isn't it time that we submit to the victorious power of the atoning blood of Jesus Christ on the cross? Isn't it time that we simply say, wash me, Father, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I'll be pure. Wash me, and I'll be white as snow. Isn't it time, church family, that we give up all of our religious effort, which is futile in the presence and the sight of God, and we simply submit to the grace of God that is exhibited through the blood of His Son shed on Calvary long 2000 years ago are you washed in the blood of the lamb let's say the chorus again in the soul cleansing blood of the lamb are your garments spotless are they white as snow are you washed in the blood of the lamb second stanza are you walking daily the bridegroom cometh are you walking daily by the savior's side Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Come on, somebody, catch that with me. I said, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Are you walking daily? by the Savior's side? Is he your very best friend? The very first thoughts that you have in the morning when you get up is, hello, Jesus. Do you have such a loving relationship with him that you go to bed with him on your mind and you get up in the morning and you say, thank God for another day. Am I walking daily by the Savior's side? Am I like John the Beloved? Do I pillow my head over on his bosom and say, Lord, I just want to hear your heartbeat. I want to smell your fragrance. When I walk out of my house, I want to be the image of Jesus to a lost and dying world. I want to be a living epistle written and read among men. Am I walking daily? In this hour, now is the time to move beyond religion and to move into true relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Listen to this. Do you rest each moment in the crucified I don't know about you. I'm at peace with God today. I am at peace with God today. I'm not waiting to be saved. I am saved. I'm just as saved as if I was in heaven right now because I'm resting. I'm resting. I've trusted in Christ. I was washed in the blood of Jesus and I'm resting each moment in the crucified. See, I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Come on, somebody. But the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. I was in Christ. To wit, I was in Christ. God hid me in him when he nailed him to the cross, buried him and raised him again the third day and now I walk in newness of life because I rest in the crucified. Do you today have that same assurance of faith? If not, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb today? Are you washed? That third stanza bears us repeating it one more time before I bring Shane back to the platform. When the bridegroom cometh, Passover would be the culmination of the week's activities to which we will allude to next week. But it begins with Jesus' descent into the Mount of Olives. Excuse me, descent from the top of the Mount of Olives into the Kidron. You can capture it. Having stood there, he's coming differently the next time. Every eye will see him. Every eye will see him when the heavens are ablaze with the glory of God at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Behold, 
Elijah Hoffman captured those three words from Matthew's gospel, the 25th chapter, three words extracted from the parable of the virgin. When the bridegroom cometh, will your robes be white? Are you washed in the blood of the lamb? Will your soul be ready for the mansion's bright and be washed in the blood? Of the Lamb. Shame, join me this morning if you would. Whoever else, if you are bringing someone, I know not. This last stanza, the author of this famous, one of the most famous of all hymns, goes from asking questions. He's asked nine distinct questions in the previous three stanzas. And next, he culminates with not a question, but in essence, instruction. Instruction for us here today. Because if you've asked yourself that question and these questions that have been, if you've heard them echoed in my voice until they're, even for this few short minutes today in the recesses of your soul, they're echoing right now. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you walking daily? All these questions. Remember this whole, the end of this whole experience is, is about questions. All these questions. Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? The question that was deep in my spirit that produced the song that I've just had in my heart for the last few days just thinking when the bridegroom cometh will your robes be white are you washed in the blood of the lamb will your soul be ready for the mansions bright and be washed in the blood of the lamb all of these questions to arrive at two points of instruction so therefore if you've asked these yourself he said in conclusion then lay aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Come on, church family, pray that with me right now. Lay aside, lay aside. There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. If ever there was a moment, if ever there was an hour, now is that time. Now is that day for you to have the assurance that you've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and the confidence that when He comes, you will not be ashamed at His coming. You will be prepared to meet Him. Come on, somebody. We will be prepared to meet Him. For when the bridegroom cometh, will your robes be wiped? Are you washed? in the blood of the Lamb. Why don't y'all stand up together today? Shane's going to lead us in this song. We're going to pray. We're going to give an invitation in just a few moments. Put your own hearts. I know many of you know this song by memory. I just want you to sing it audibly. Sing it out loud. Let's just sing it today before we dismiss. This is not our dismissal. This is a prelude to dismissal. But I would like you to join your faith with mine and let's sing these famous words captured by this Christian author and minister long years ago. For those words are relevant today as they were when God gave them to him long years ago.
Come on, church family. You sing this. Come on. In your heart. Nine questions. Answer them today. Come on, church family. Right now, in your spirit. Talk you in the blood, in the soul cleansing blood of the Lamb. Talk your garments, spotless are they white as snow. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? And are you walking daily? Now it's time to walk daily. Are you washed? that in the blood answer it in your spirit in the soul cleansing blood of the lamb and dog your garments spotless are they white as snow are you washed in the blood of the lamb and when the bride come on right there come with your robes be white right there it is are you washed when in the comes. blood Church family, if I could have every head bowed and every eyes closed for just a few moments, every eye closed for just a few moments today. You know, I've gone beyond myself in the context of preaching like this. Pastor Brown is a teacher and a pastor, a shepherd. But every now and then there's that moment in your spirit that when you just say, you know, you need to be much more urgent. There should be an urgency about the hour in which we live. Not a fearful manipulation but an understanding that there's only one thing that can make you clean, make you whole, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ can wash your soul. I want you to think with me for just a moment as we pray, and we're going to give people an opportunity to respond today. We're going to give people an opportunity to respond. I want you to think for just a moment when you've ever been working out in the field, if we can use that term. 
perhaps out in your garden or a hard day's work or maybe you worked in the oil and gas industry and you came in just covered from head to toe. The thing you longed for the most was a shower to just wash you, make you feel whole again, make you feel like a real person. Well, that's a natural example of what it's like when you put your faith in the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. The fountain that was opened, the blood of Jesus, all that contention and strife, all that, all the guilt and condemnation that comes with having sinned against God is all washed away in a singular moment when you ask Christ into your heart and into your life to make you whole, to prepare you for the bridegroom who's coming. So today, I'm asking, I'm asking today, nine questions have been posed to you in a song. I didn't give you a sermon, I gave you a song. Nine questions concerning being washed in the blood of Jesus. Is there anybody here today under the sound of my voice, male or female, young or old alike today, that says, Pastor, I need to be washed in the atoning blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Today, today, I've got a guilt and a sin and a burden in my heart today. If the bridegroom were to come, I would not be prepared to meet him. For my robes are not white. I want to be washed in the blood of Jesus. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Brown, I want to be washed, then I want you to slip your hand up today. I'd like to pray with you today. If there's one, if there's one, I'm waiting in the presence of God. Is there anyone here today in the name of Jesus? Thank you so much for that hand back there. Thank you. Thank you. In the name of Jesus. Thank you. Anyone else today? Rededications. I believe those are some rededications are taking place. Our consciousness being washed and cleansed. We talk about the blood of Jesus having a perpetual flow. That it's cleansing. It's a cleansing element in our spirit and our soul. It washes us. Even as Christians, when we sin, we find ourselves praying almost like David a long years ago. God, wash me and I'll be clean. He prayed, God, wash me with hyssop and I'll be clean. And we pray, God, wash us by the blood of Jesus and I'll be clean. Is there a believer in here today that would be honest and say, Pastor, I've I've had some sin in my life today and I just want to confess it before the Lord. I want to get it out. I want want to be made clean today. I I want to be washed. I want this away. It's in my consciousness. I struggle with the guilt and the condemnation of it. And enough is enough today. I want to be prepared fully and completely for the bridegroom to come. Is there anybody here today?